The reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we would not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, that may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm the minister here at St. Stephen's. And uh, we've been going through this series in, in 1 Corinthians uh, for some time now. Uh, this is actually going to be our, our last one for a while. So we'll, we'll take a break over the next couple of weeks. Uh, one quick notice is that I'll be away for the next two Sundays. But uh, we'll have... Uh, our bishop with us one of those Sundays preaching, and then uh, Jesse, who's on staff, will preach the other one. Uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, why don't we pray, and then we'll take a look at these words. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians so far, and for the many ways we've been challenged and changed. Uh, and we pray that you would continue to do the work uh, that you've been doing in our hearts uh, by your Spirit this morning. Help us as we think on the Lord's Supper and the significance of it. Uh, and we pray that uh, as we share the Lord's Supper later, uh, it would be wonderfully encouraging for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are thinking about the, the Lord's Supper this morning, and it's a subject that uh, brings a wide range of uh, sort of practices. It, it has different names, communion, the Eucharist. Uh, it's often shared in different ways in, in different churches. Uh, some people share it weekly, some monthly, 
Some do it once a quarter and, and some do it once a year. Uh, and some of us do it the right way, once a month, twice on the fifth Sunday. Uh, some do it from one cup and, and one loaf. Others use little cups. Some use bread. Others use wafers. Some come forward. Others stay put. And there's a huge variety in, in how people partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, but what most people will agree on is that it is something for God's people, those who know Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And if you're someone who's, who's been in church for a while, uh, one thing you may have noticed is how easy it is to just go through the motions without actually realising what it is we do each time we share the Lord's Supper together. Some churches in the past who, who share the uh, Lord's Supper less frequently would actually, in the weeks leading up to it, spend time preparing their hearts for what they were about to receive. What we find in, in Corinth is almost the opposite. The church seems to have forgotten what the Lord's Supper is all about. And so Paul writes to help the Corinthians. And what he writes here breaks up into three parts. Uh, there's the problem in verses 17 to 22. The solution in verses 23 to 26 and the application in verses 27 to 34. First he unpacks the problem for us in verses 17 to 22. Imagine being part of the church in Corinth and someone is reading Paul's letter to you and they read verse 17. In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. It's a very cutting comment, but that was the state of the church in Corinth. When they meet, it's, it's more harmful than it is helpful. Their church service actually ends up being a bad thing. It would be better for them to, to stay home. And that's a, a devastating assessment for any church. And the specific thing that, that causes this response is the way they have been taking part in the Lord's Supper. Verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. And it seems these divisions are, are different to the divisions that he referred to earlier in the letter. Uh, earlier it was divisions around their favourite leaders, but here the divisions seem to be one of, of, of class. Uh, you may remember that in, in chapter 1 Paul said that not many of the Corinthians were influential and, and not many were of noble birth. But that means that some were. Now for Paul, normally that's, that's not an issue. But the church is, is full of, uh, because the church is full of differences. And in verse 19, differences sometimes help weed out those who don't belong to Christ. But when differences are causing division, when the church starts to look like the world around it, that's, there's an issue. Society encourages us to divide over things like race, uh, politics, religion, social status. And even over where we live, our towns, our cities, our suburbs, and more. But while society is often dividing over our differences, the church is supposed to be different. The church is, of course, made up of many, many different parts. But we are one body, not, not multiple bodies, but one. And so our interactions are to reflect that. Well, we see how the division plays out in verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. When the church in Corinth gathered, their practice was to eat a full meal together. Uh, very different to how we do things today. 
And at some point uh, in the meal, it included sharing the Lord's Supper. But Paul was shocked by what was taking place. The rich people would be there early in, in one room. The poor would arrive later and be in another room. And in Corinthian society, it, w- it was normal to separate the rich and poor. But in the church, there's no place for that. Those who were rich were having an absolute feast, a, a banquet, quality food, the finest of wine, all in one room. But the poor people in the church, uh, those from a lower class, were left starving. When the rich had, had finally stuffed themselves, the, the poor would get the leftovers if they were lucky. They were dividing as society divided, and Paul was rightly outraged. He says in verse 22, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? If you want to have a private meal with a select group, then do it at home. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Imagine turning up uh, to church with your family and uh, some people have already started. And it's not because of daylight savings. They've they've invited people they like and and they've, they've come along and started early. And you come late and you're shown to a different room. And you and your family and and the other poor people like you wait until the rich have finished. And then, only then, do you share in the Lord's Supper. All in the church of God, this is taking place. They they think they're taking part in the Lord's Supper, but what they're doing is something else altogether. Those who have less are being treated like less. And the Corinthians are blissfully unaware that there's even a problem. And if we're not careful, uh, we can have similar problems in the church today. We can end up dividing over our many differences. We can treat certain people really well and others really poorly. What we see in Corinth shows us that we need to be aware of our own bias. Who are the the particular people we're drawn to? Who are the people that we barely notice? The attitude of the Corinthians can affect any church. And Paul is almost lost for words in verse 22. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. Something needs to change among them. And that's where Paul offers them the solution. This is the second point, verses 23 to 26. And he takes them back to the night that Jesus died. For I received from the Lord what what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he died, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In one sense, this is Paul reminding them of what they already know. These are are the words that came from Jesus, and they're familiar words to many of us because they are words that we use regularly when we share communion together. Now, why does Paul go here as the the solution to the problem in Corinth? Well, I think the reason is uh, that by reminding them of of what's taking place when uh, when they share the Lord's Supper, they realise just how terrible their actions have been. Now, it's worth noting that there's there's been a lot written about verses 24 and and 25. Uh, One clear issue that comes from these verses is how we're to understand those words. This is my body, this is my blood. And there's been endless debate about it. Uh, And as you may know, the the Roman Catholic Church and and some other churches have have taken these words quite literally. And their teaching on 
this is, is often referred to as transubstantiation, which is where they claim that the bread and the wine, while their appearance hasn't changed, the substance has. A- and it's become the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus. So it's suggested if you eat the drink, uh, if you eat and drink uh, the bread and the wine, you automatically have communion with God. They've eaten his body, they've drunk his blood. And there's a spiritual benefit they receive. But what Jesus says here to his disciples is very different. He was standing before them. Uh, they didn't think they were. Uh, they didn't think they were literally taking his body and his blood. Uh, if you've ever watched a, a basketball game during a timeout, you'll occasionally see the coach uh, with a little whiteboard, and, and the players are all kind of huddled around him. And the coach might have some magnets that represent the players, and, and he tells them the game plan. He says, "John, you go over here." points to the, the magnet. Mike, you're over there. Joel, this is you on the bench. You stay put. <laughs> and, and when he's pointing to these different magnets, he, he's not saying this is literally you. That This magnet hasn't become you. It simply represents you. And that's the, the type of language that Jesus uses. It's not literally his body and blood. It just represents it. It represents his body being broken and his blood being shed on the cross for our sin. So it's not literal, but we're also not just eating a, a bit of bread and, and drinking a bit of wine or a, a bit of grape juice. We're actually remembering what the Lord Jesus has done. I wonder what you do when you really need to remember something. Uh, maybe you write a little note on your hand or make a note on your phone or you put it in the diary. Uh, and we do those things because they're important. And likewise, when, when we eat the bread, and drink the wine, we're doing it because it's important. We're remembering because it's important. It's not something we just do for the sake of doing it. It is to remember. Now notice in verse 25 he mentions the new covenant. Uh, A covenant is like a a pact or a contract or an agreement, often between God and his people. And and this is something that the, the prophet Jeremiah wrote about. In Jeremiah 31 he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, with the house of Israel. And a bit later on, this, this is the covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And as we remember, we're reminded of what Jesus' death in our place achieved, that he bore all of our sin, that we might find forgiveness from God. And we remember our dependence on Jesus. More than that, this 26 says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time the Corinthians share communion, they're they're proclaiming that Jesus has died for them and that any sinful person is able to be reconciled to God. It doesn't matter, matter whether you're young or old. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor because what Jesus achieved on the cross breaks down all of those kind of social barriers. His death wasn't just for the wealthy. It wasn't just for the upper class. It was for anyone and everyone who would trust in Jesus, which is why Paul is is so worked up by what he's heard. The church is divided, and so Paul's solution is to remind them of the thing that unites them, the body and blood of Jesus. Paul says, remember what you're doing when you eat the bread and drink the wine. 
So we've seen the, the problem, we've recognised the solution, and, and now we see how that applies in, in the Corinthians situation. Uh, this is the third point, the application, uh, in verses 27 to 34. This is Paul showing them the way forward. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood. A man ought to examine, examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. When the rich fail to recognize the poor and, and help them and treat them as kind of second-class people, they're, they're sinning against Jesus' body and his blood. They're going against what Jesus has done. So Paul says in, in verse 28, examine yourself. In some churches, uh, particularly in past years, it, it was common practice to spend days and, and weeks doing exactly that, examining their lives preparing their hearts before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And perhaps we've gone too far the other way. We may say some important words during a communion service, but at times we eat and drink without much thought at all, much like the Corinthians' current approach. And Paul warns them in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now why does he say, why does he only say recognizing the body of the Lord? Why doesn't he mention the blood as well in verse 29? Well, it seems that he's not referring to Jesus' physical body here, but to the church, the, the body of believers. And he did a similar thing back in chapter 10. Now, it's right for Christians to reflect on the death of Jesus as we eat the body and, and drink, uh, as we eat the bread and drink the wine. And it seems that the Corinthians were doing that part possibly okay. But it's also important when doing that, we take time to recognize those around us for whom Christ also died. And this was where the Corinthians had failed so miserably. The rich failing to recognize the poor and bringing judgment upon themselves. And verse 30 shows us that is why many of you, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now this isn't something we see very often in the New Testament, a, a direct link being, being made between particular sin and sickness. And in fact, even though Paul draws the conclusion here as an apostle, uh, the Bible doesn't encourage us to make those connections regarding particular sins. We know that generally all, all suffering and all sickness is a result of human sin, rebellion against God, but, but we're not exa uh, exactly encouraged to link particular sins to particular suffering. Uh, suffering which is why you'd never go up to someone and say, you know how you had the, the flu last week? Well, that was because you were rude to me the week before. That'll teach you. Uh, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, recognised that, that something was going on in Corinth. And he realises that a number of people have been weak and sick and a number have, have fallen asleep, not asleep like during the sermon. Uh, this, is, this is death. And some people suggest this was the present crisis from chapter 7. God is, is judging them for dividing through a thing that should unite. But verse 31, if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. If they took the Lord's Supper seriously, then they wouldn't be going against God. And this is a warning for anyone who would take the Lord's Supper. See the importance of examining our relationship with God and with others. I take it that's one of the reasons why, why really young children don't take it. They're not able to 
uh, not really able to examine themselves or to recognize the body of Christ in the way that Paul puts it here. I take it that's why sometimes people who, who know of relation, relational issues that they have with other Christians uh, that they haven't repented of won't take it either. We see what God hopes for the Corinthians in, in, in verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. See, God's judgment of the Corinthians is a wake-up call. So they won't face the judgment of this world one day, uh, the, the judgment that this world will one day have to face for rejecting him. So how should we deal like, uh, with verses like this? Uh, well, as I said, I don't think we should assume that suffering or, or sickness is linked to a particular sin. This is a world where, where God does allow suffering and sickness as a consequence of the fall, but we should always be asking ourselves, uh, is there sin in my life that I'm needing to turn away from? Is there sin that I need to repent of? And God certainly gives us plenty of opportunity to do that. Well, Paul continues, So, brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instruction. So that's the, the application for the Corinthians. Don't forget or ignore the poor. If you're hungry, eat at home beforehand. Wait for each other. Eat together so that things won't go poorly for you. Now, as has been a challenge uh, throughout this series in, in 1 Corinthians, we're left asking, what does any of this have to do with us? And as we've gone through the passage, I think it's been clear that, that God is concerned about the unity of his people. And he's particularly concerned when he sees people undermining this unity that Jesus has won for us. Now, we don't struggle with the, the meal aspect of the Lord's Supper because we don't share a meal alongside it. And I suspect that no one here is being you know, overly gluttonous with their, their little piece of bread or a drunkard with their little sip of wine. But there are other challenges for us. Are we guilty of, of dividing as the world divides? Based on race or social status, wealth, on education, based on theological understanding? Are we guilty of, of generational division? Boomers over here, millennials over there, Gen Z can do whatever they want. Uh, are there certain groups of people who we treat as, as less important? People who look different or, or dress different or act different or smell different as though Christ's death isn't enough for them. At the end of verse 26, it, it reminds us that uh, we share the Lord's Supper in anticipation of his future return. And on that day, there, there will be a great banquet and people from all walks of life will be gathered with us. Different ages, different stages. There'll be Kiwi, uh, Kiwis and, and Welsh and Vietnamese and people from all nations and cultures, united by the body and blood of Christ. Now another question for us, are we expressing the unity that is symbolised in the Lord's Supper in the regular life of our church? Obviously, we won't have the same relationships with everyone in church life, but are we actively pursuing this, this newfound unity that we have in Christ? Taking opportunities as we, as we look around and, and see the, the vast array of people for whom Christ has died, to share fellowship with these people, to open up our homes to them, to go, to go visit others, 
Uh, I heard a lovely example of this the other day where, where a, a mother was aware of her kids uh, who don't have a lot of people their age uh, or at, at their age or stage uh, in the church. And so she's actively encouraging them to recognize the opportunity to build relationships with Christians at, at different stages of life, others who Christ has died for, encouraging them to, to serve alongside some of these people. And that's a wonderful way to display our unity in the life of a church. Uh, over the years, I've, I've known of Christians in other churches leaving churches because there is no one else like them, or, or single Christians being uncomfortable with married Christians, so they go elsewhere. Married Christians being uncomfortable with, with people with kids, so they go elsewhere. Uh, are we dividing in, in ways that the world divides? Because when we fall into those ways of thinking, we're not far off the Corinthians. And Paul has a stern word for us. If we, if we recognize worldly division in our lives, then we must repent and change our ways. For Christ died for all who would trust in him. Are we recognizing the body of the Lord? Uh, I was sharing uh, with Vestry recently that I've, I've heard of some people who have uh, mentioned to me how, how they've been wonderfully welcomed uh, and they felt very welcomed since, since coming to St. Stephen's. Uh, but I also heard of, of one instance where uh, one person stood in the foyer before a, a service and, and, uh, and for a period of time uh, waiting for someone and, and no one really spoke to them. Uh, are we recognising those for whom Christ died? Or do we only recognise particular people? Let's learn from the Corinthians. And uh, as, we, as we share the Lord's Supper in a short time, let's thank God for the unity that he has won for us through Jesus. Amen.